So this is the first of what's going to be two podcasts around risk. Initially, the first one, specific emphasis on cyber risk. And the second around recruitment and the particular risks associated, again, in the cyberspace with recruitment. Now, Warren, you brought us these stories. Introduce yourself. I'm Warren Howlett, Head of HR Content at the CIPD. So people risk has been around for a really long time. It's actually as a, as a concept, nothing new. But what we want to do is focus on two really emergent areas where we're seeing significant change. So in this first episode, we're going to be looking at cyber risk and specifically how people play into that. The big breaches at organisations like Uber, Sony and the NHS, they all hit the headlines, but we never actually hear about countless other breaches. 90% of large organisations have, have experienced some kind of breach, around 75% of SMEs, and a lot of that is coming from, from the insider threats. So those are employees which are within the organisation and intentionally or unintentionally causing a breach for that organisation. So that's the first area that I think is really interesting and one where we want to raise awareness both in terms of the risk itself, but also as organisations, how can we most effectively tackle that risk? And in the second episode, we'll be focusing on the people risks specifically around recruitment, where fraud is becoming a major issue. There is a a significant amount of fraud that's happening in the recruiting space, in particular for for candidates. And they'll be encouraged to apply for a job from a well-known brand, and all of a sudden someone from the organisation is purporting to be from that organisation is asking them for, um, for some money, for a visa, or asking them to pay for a work permit. The candidate gets sucked into this cycle of, of paying into a, a fraudulent activity. So this time we're going to look at organisational cyber risks and what HR can do to combat them. And we are approaching a key deadline on this. Between now and May 25th next year, all companies have to formulate a policy on the EU General Data Protection Regulation. That's the GDPR. Now, this is one of the biggest changes to data protection legislation in the past 20 years. The intention is to give everyone living in the EU greater control over their personal data, and that is creating a seismic shift in the IT landscape too. We all know that digital systems are potentially vulnerable to failure or even attack. You'll remember WannaCry, that ransomware attack which created chaos in the NHS, and the GoldenEye attack which directly targeted data held by HR teams. But... Most cyber breaches aren't created by IT failings. 96% of cyber breaches are down to humans. And that is the message that many organisations are being very slow to grasp. Which department looks after cyber security in your organisation? IT. IT. Yeah, the IT. Just IT. Yes. HR and IT together. Yeah. I would say it was the IT department. Do you think you're up to speed with cyber security at work? 100% yes. Um... Well, I think our IT team is taking good care of that. So do you see it just as a tech issue then, not a people issue? Um, I think it's a people issue. That's a difficult question. Cybersecurity. I've only been at my current workplace for the past four months and it's not really been a topic that's been considered. Here are some scary figures. 47% of HR departments have no idea when cyber resilience was last reviewed in their organisation and just 22% have looked at people risks in the past year. 
CIFAS is the largest cross-sector fraud-sharing organisation in the UK. It maintains a national database of confirmed fraud cases, which it shares with its members. That's businesses, charities, public bodies and individuals too. It also maintains an internal fraud database to combat insider threats. Lee Darcy is Director of Engagement and he told me what we all know to be true. Fraud is on the increase, we know, from our numbers. If you talk to the Office of National Statistics, you know, everybody, the police, are all saying fraud is a major issue. And it's so much more easier now for people to commit a crime in their bedroom with their laptop than it is to actually kind of do it physically with all the CCTV cameras that are around. You know, in the old days, people would put stocking over their head, wouldn't they, and go into a shop with a, with a cucumber and a plastic bag. Now they just stay in their bedroom, uh, get their laptop out and pretend to be someone else. So, unfortunately, there are organised criminal gangs who will infiltrate organisations. There, there was an interesting advertisement on um, Craigslist for postmen to be, you know, to earn up to £1,000 for stealing the mail. You know, it, it really does happen on a regular basis. And we see all the time more and more intricate and innovative ways that people are finding to defraud organisations, which means that last year's controls may not be adequate for next year's fraud. Keith Rosser is Chair and Board Director at Safer Jobs. It's another non-profit, a joint industry and law enforcement organisation. It supports job seekers, agency staff and contractors with any suspected fraud. It's backed by government and the Metropolitan Police, and I asked Keith to tell me where these fraudsters are coming from. Unfortunately, it's global. So we've had a look at some of the organised elements to see where they're based, and we've, we've found them all over the world. We've got Eastern Europe, Asia, all over the world, certainly in parts of Africa too. We've found that actually fraudsters can set up with a computer and operate anywhere globally and facilitate fraud in the UK. But it does highlight the issue, doesn't it, of the whole clicking on a link, an unknown link problem. And that's such an issue for everyone in yes. their private and their professional lives. Yes. When do you click? When do you not? Yeah, that's right. And we're seeing a lot of targeted activities against HR directors and chief executives where um, sort of fake emails are going to genuine people's accounts because fraudsters are getting real names and working out their email addresses and are sending them all kinds of uh, sort of ransomware click through from email issues but also targeting them to try and get a response uh, of any sort from those people so that they can use that response in future to then uh, say to the company that their CEO has authorised some payment or transfer so we see that as well we, we've advised a lot of CEOs and HR directors etc just not to reply at all because people take any reply change the wording and use it as a here your chief executive has authorised you to pay this money into, into our account for services Criminal gangs and fraudsters targeting companies for money or data or sometimes purportedly moral crusades of one sort or another, that is the stuff that hits the headlines. But Rob Campbell, CIPD's own IT cybersecurity expert, says that although that threat is on the rise, it's better understood and there are protective products in place. So the bigger threat is actually already inside your organisation. Because that stuff is so much better understood, there's tools in place that you can that you can use to try and mitigate that. I think most of the the real threat these days, uh, I think a lot of people, there's been a lot of studies done. Most of that's going to come from what we call internal threat, and that's typically going to be people who've already inside your organisation. So 
the crossing the threshold to get inside has already been done. So that's why that threat is a little more visceral. Keith Rosser says he's seen a steep increase in the number of people actively looking to defraud organisations. People are deliberately trying to get into organisations just to commit fraud. It used to be uh, financial services in particular that people target, but actually these days we find people targeting a whole range of sectors, particularly those sectors that have fewer controls because they're easier for fraudsters to target. Which is an unsettling thought. But not surprising, given there are broader drivers of organisational risk. Here's Warren Howlett again. The amount of data and information has grown exponentially, but so has how employees interact with that data and each other. So 7 out of 10 employees interact with more folks than they have done in the past. The impact of the technology in augmenting the workplace has been proficient, and we've seen the growth of, uh, of bring your own devices and, and linked to technology then we get into things like well-being where we're seeing you know, four in ten employees reporting having excess stress at work and the reason why that's important is when people are more stressed they tend to make poorer decisions, they tend to demonstrate the kinds of behaviours that you wouldn't necessarily want to see in the workplace so well-being in itself is important and we also have seen big shifts in terms of the workforce so there is a, a big growth in the contingent workforce and for managers at the same time their spans of control have increased so um, HBR report that uh, the spans of control for senior execs have doubled so then you've got the situation where managers are trying to keep an eye on all of these different things but the number of people that they actually have to manage has significantly increased. Given that most threats are internal if we strip out people just making mistakes who are the actual perpetrators? Well, there seem to be three main categories. There's a guy called Martin Gill, who Professor Martin Gill at Portsmouth University spoke at the SciFest conference last year. And he interviewed people who had been convicted of employment fraud. So he went into the prisons and had a chat with these people and and kind of wanted to understand, you know, why did you do this? Yeah. Because these are not career criminals, are they? They don't start out. Exactly right. And, And what he was really interested in was that most people said, you know what, I did it because I could. I did it because I could. It was easy to, and it became too easy not to do it. So those are the opportunists. Bill Windle identified the second type of cyber criminal for us. He's director of the cybersecurity consultancy Cyber Insider. I was at a conference in the US six years ago. A speaker from a global technology company stood up and said, "We are having," uh, and said, "We are having um, graduates run in against us." And after nine months, they have acquired what they want, what they've been briefed to gather, and they then leave and, after a time, join a competitor. So, graduates or other employees who just take off with a raft of valuable data tucked away on a memory stick. Very often we see almost the highest proportion of malicious actions are just among leavers. Leavers from organisations, a low percentage might be about 10% take information, sensitive data, intellectual property with them, and they think that's fine. And what do they do with it? Because I think about someone walking off with data from the role they had in one organisation before they look for a job in another. I mean, I don't think most people would know what to do with the data they've taken, would they? Do they take it as a power player? Do they actively take it as something they think they can sell? Typically, it's not for sale. Typically, it's for them to use to support them in the next job. Right. It might not even be as clear as that. Sometimes they just think, well... I've been working on this. Uh, In a sense, I have ownership of it. So it's kind of mine. It's kind of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, it isn't. But the biggest group of malicious cybercriminal insiders 
is something altogether different. The main malicious risk comes from a formerly completely loyal and committed employee, long-standing typically, who decides that they are right in taking action against their employer. And that, of course, is a people management issue. Here's Lee Darcy again. I believe Amazon had a, an interesting situation recently where they had the, one of their depots burned down by a disgruntled employee. You know, Morrisons have suffered uh, a data loss from a disgruntled employee. So, you know, it happens quite a lot. You know, often people are facing difficulties with uh, maybe family issues, lifestyle issues, maybe they have addictions to gambling, drugs, alcohol, all these sorts of things. Maybe they are being approached by nefarious organisations or people outside trying to bribe them. Can you get me some information? Ultimately, you know, you need to be aware of these things so you can deal with it. Yes, because at heart, it's about people making choices, isn't it? It is about people making choices. And and unfortunately, there are individuals who have worked with an organisation for 25 years, 26 years, and then suddenly commit an internal fraud. And you think, well, why? How? You know, what what made you do that? Something changed in their life. Maybe their partner died. You know, they're finding it very difficult to make ends meet financially. Well, just the pace of change in the organisation. We're constantly told about, you know, that you need to be agile, you need to be changeable, that, you know, everything is different the way it was last year. That's challenging. It is all challenging, absolutely. And there are lots of challenges, you know, both internally and externally from from people's lives. So from HR's point of view, it's around understanding this is obviously, first and foremost, a people issue rather than an IT issue. So it's around how you're managing people as well as the systems you're putting in place to actually actively defend yourself from fraud. Yeah, absolutely. My, my CEO has a, a good way of putting it. You know, years ago when people threw a brick through a window, they didn't call it brick crime. Right. You know, cybercrime is it's just a crime. It's crime. It's theft. It's dishonest acts. So in reality, we're dealing with criminals. So we have to treat people and do all the kind of things we need to do around risk management to make sure criminals can't have access to the things they want to get access to. Okay, enough scare stories. What can HR do about this? The first part is the the kind of the new people. So, you know, kind of vetting new applicants, if you like. I'm staggered how many organisations don't do it effectively. And Keith Rosser reckons that just to be seen to be doing it is often enough to deter criminals from trying. Where it's people who really are intent on doing harm. Just the fact they know you do vetting actually is a deterrent. But how thorough does a check need to be? Here's Lee. You want to check that they've got the results they've got, the qualifications they've got, the background they've got. You know, you don't want to just take the CV as being what it says. You so need to CVs check and references are just a starting point. I, I often do say lies, damn lies and CVs. Unfortunately, yes, it's too easy to, uh, to put what you like on a CV, isn't it really? So would you advocate vetting for every role, however, however junior? It's a really interesting challenge, actually. You could easily say, well, this is a, this is a low-level risk role. But, you know, even a cleaner at night wandering around your office, it's surprising what they might find. It's surprising what they might do. Just vetting to make sure that, that they are the people they say they are, that they've got the background they say they've got. And given this is a global issue, your take on this would be that pretending it hasn't happened, keeping it to yourselves organisationally, none of this is a good idea. It's, the defences will be much more effective if organisations are collaborative and share. There are a couple of issues around this. First of all, there aren't harsh enough penalties. The consequences really, uh, I think, for most employees who commit these offences, they think they can get away with it. They think, do you know what will happen is if you find it and you investigate me, I'll just resign 
and I'll go somewhere else and you'll just write a nice little bland reference and I'll go and work somewhere else and maybe I'll do it again, maybe I won't. But there will be very little punishment. Um, they may not get reported to the police. When it is reported to the police, the police are absolutely up to their eyeballs. They're probably going to say, well, actually, you're a big organisation. We're not going to investigate this. So it doesn't go all the way through to a conviction. So it's very, very... We have to kind of collaborate because we're not talking about people who don't do their job well. We're talking about people who commit crimes. And some of these people do it again and again and again and again. So vetting people on the way in and sharing fraud information are two good defensive moves. But what about systems and practices? Are there things you can do to minimise the risk? It's about making sure that the HR department works really closely with the risk function and finance to ensure that all of the necessary controls are appropriate to that organisation are in place. It should have uh, really good procedures around things like whistleblowings to make sure that the um, sort of sign-off and control mechanisms are appropriate to the organisation they, they work in. We often say that where you've got sole dependencies where one person has this ability to, to kind of be creator, master and authoriser of one piece of work, we find actually that often fraud persists. That was Keith Rosser, and according to Bill Windle, it's also vital that every organisation, big or small, designates one single person to be the accountable owner of fraud risk. Unless you have a single point of accountability, you end up with it being disaggregated. That coherent approach to control, to strategy, to capability, to investment, to efficiency, all the good things that, from a business point of view, you have to achieve tend to be much less well done. The CEO has someone they can ask, let's say once a month, tell me about the top three risks we discussed last month. How have they changed? Uh, what are the implications for our strategy? Uh, does this mean we need to invest more or invest less? Uh, and immediately you start to drive down both the risk and you absolutely get a team-based approach. Bill recommends the HOMA framework as a useful tool. That's Holistic Management of Employee Risk. It's a guide produced by the government authority, the Centre for the Protection of National Infrastructure. Well, first of all, I'd say that uh, the brief from CPNI was to produce something that was close to being fun to read, a playbook, if you like. And bearing in mind its security guidance, that was something that we took to heart. It's designed to help you figure out your own organisation's risks. It has a series of questions and exercises, and it's intended very much to be something that's interactive and meant to stimulate through a set of what I would call universal principles. For example, what are your organisation's top three people risks right now? If the chief HR officer doesn't know the answer to that question, it probably means that that hasn't been formally identified and defined and therefore it means it's not really being managed. The challenge here is to maximise protection without undermining relations with your employees and suppliers. It's not that difficult for organisations to put up barriers and monitor people's activity, but you're dicing with a loss of trust there. So how to be secure without making people feel spied upon or even misled? Here's Rachel Neiman. She's CEO at the Corsham Institute. I don't think it's about being spied upon, I think it is again about openness and transparency over the responsibilities of the company and of the individual workforce within that company vis-a-vis uh, -vis the data and the information the organisation holds. 
The data we have in an organisation belongs to other people. It's other people's data. We need to protect that. We wouldn't necessarily shout people's telephone numbers or bank details from the rooftops. It's the same kind of thing. We need to understand that unless we are protecting the data in the right way, it is as if we were shouting these uh, figures from the from the rooftop. I think what is more important is to train your workforce to feel uh, a responsibility towards the data that they handle and a responsibility towards the brand, towards the organisation that they are part of, not to let this happen. So vigilance, collaboration and transparency, they all play key roles here, as does education. I know it's a silly thing to say, but, you know, actually reminding people and communicating with people that it's an important aspect of protecting jobs, of protecting the you know, profitability of the organisation. So it's part of the culture that it you're, has to that be you're part protecting of the each other. It has to be part of the culture, absolutely. Secondly, you know, if you're attacked from outside, if you know, organisations do lose money to fraudsters, right? So if you lose £50,000, a large organisation, you could say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll suffer the £50,000 loss. If... As an in, from an employment point of view, someone takes all of my customer data or all of my sensitive commercial information on my recipes or my, you know, my industrial plans or whatever it might be and takes them to a competitor or puts them on the net or something, that could damage my reputation as an organisation so much that I may not be able to carry on being in business. I may have to lay people off. It may cost jobs. So actually the cost of internal fraud becomes immeasurable. Lee Darcy ending this month's episode for us and thanks to our other guests Rachel Neiman, Bill Windle, Keith Rosser and Warren Howlett. Our second episode on cyber, the one focusing on recruitment fraud, will air in February. And that sort of fraud is big business. Job seekers, employers and the recruitment industry all lose out. We'll be looking at why that fraud is on the rise and what organisations, individuals and indeed HR can all do to protect themselves and others. In between, on the first Tuesday in January, we'll be bringing you the annual Look Ahead episode, where we'll hear HRs from Microsoft, the police and the Home Office, all predicting the big challenges for 2018. First, though, a year-end thank you from all of us for listening to the podcast this year. We love making them, and it's really good to know you enjoy them too. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.